This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Inspiration Project. We trust that you're enjoying the stories that we're bringing to you of prominent Christians who've navigated important parts of life and uh, been able to find the place of faith that has carried them through that and given them a sense of direction. Really looking forward to a conversation with our guest in today's episode. Eloise Wellings is a a young mum, but best known as a high-performance athlete. Eloise has represented Australia at multiple Olympic Games, and uh, at Commonwealth Games, one of the uh, highlights was a gold medal in the World University Games um, in middle distance. So we'll get to hear a bit about that and uh, the, the story of uh, training and com- competition and what it's like to, uh, to be at the highest levels of athletics. Eloise, welcome to the Inspiration Project. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Really delightful. I, uh, in our chat just beforehand, we found that you're a, um, a shire girl. Uh, Guy girl, that's right. Southern part of Sydney. Has that been your your home while you've been in Australia? Yeah. So, um, I mean, on Wikipedia it says, and it's true, that I was born in New York in the US, um, but I we moved back to Australia. My well, The rest of my family is Australian. I'm one of four kids in my family and um, we – yeah, my my parents were just over there on business um, for for two years, and and I was born there, and it's been actually really handy for me um, being able to go and race over there without having to get a visa and all that sort of thing. So um, yeah, I'm a dual citizen, but I'm I'm Aussie. So this is yeah, I was going to say this is the tricky point of that conversation. <laughs> do you, do you consider yourself an American or an Australian? Oh, I don't. I mean, I wish I could have voted. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm that would have been an all of itself. I think if you're <laughs> participating in this last round of elections in the U.S. Yeah, I know. Quite um, cool. yeah, but as you can hear by my Oka accent, I'm, I'm, I'm Aussie. Yes. We'll own you for sure. Uh, do you have <laughs> recollections of America? When, how old was it? When, how old were you when you, when your family came home? Uh, it was about 18 months. Oh, it was really young. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. I used to go over there for two years. That was it. Yeah, yeah. that was it. Went over there really to, to usher you into the world and then bring you back to. <laughs> That's right. The great Just so that I could um, easily get in later on in life. Yeah, that's um, super helpful for you. Um, yeah. Given the career that you've ended up in where you've needed to be a bit of a jet setter, I imagine. Yeah, that's right. It's been um, It's been really helpful. So we... I sometimes joke, uh, particularly Sydney-siders, will respectfully look in at the Shire, what life must mm-hmm. be like growing up with what is presented as the ideal childhood, teenage experience, even early young adult life. Is it really as glistening to be part yeah. of that life as, as it's made out to be in, in media and in uh, anecdotes and on, and on the socials? Uh- yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's a pretty great place to grow up, especially as an athlete. I think I have so many um, memories as a, as a kid of of looking up to some of the great athletes that have come out of 
the Sutherland Shire, like Chris McCormack and um, Craig Alexander and Ian Thorpe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, lots and uh, lots of, um, you know, professional athletes and that are willing to kind of, I know, take um, that we're willing to t- kind of take people like me under, under their wing and, mm-hmm. and show, show us a thing or two about sport and about professional sport and, um, yeah, and so in, in, in that sense, it's like been amazing. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a great, it seems like a really it's safe place to bring up a family and, um, yeah, you know, like it's, 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 it's actually a really, it's, it's actually a really big community. Yeah. Um, it's just this thing called that we call it the Shire thing where you, mm. you feel like you know someone because you've seen them around, you don't actually know them. You've never met them, but you've seen them around a lot. Um, but yeah, that's just the way it is. And yeah, that's we love it. That country town community only in an ideal beachside location. Yeah. Right? So fantastic. I, I want to come back and ask you a bit about mentoring and people that have influenced your life, but we'll, we'll put that on hold. Mm-hmm. Growing up in, in the situation that you have, you'd, the expectation might be that you'd end up surf lifesaving or, or distance swimming or something like that rather than ending up in athletics what was your pathway into athletics yeah my uh, my family my mum was actually a really good runner and my uncle was a good runner too we have a race in a local race called the Sutherland to surf and um, both my mum and my uncle won that um, respectively in the women's and men's events um, in historically and and yeah they were good distance runners and um you know, we did nippers and everything. I, I tried all sports when I was younger, to be honest. I didn't really start to focus on on running until I was kind of in my teenage years. Right. Um, when I when I really started to, I guess, focus on on wanting to make the Olympics. I wanted to make the, you know, get to the pinnacle of sport, which was the Olympics. And um, and that's when I started to focus a lot more on running. So as a as a youngster, in, into anything that got you outdoors. Sports, yeah. team sports, individual thing. Yeah. Just yeah. Let me at it. Let me. Yeah. Go. And I actually think that that's. I mean, that's that's how we want to raise our kids, just to try everything and see what they love, um, and yeah, just see what they're passionate about and, and develop skills in you know each sport and you know learn about different different events and different sports and. Um, learn how to lose as well. It's good to be in a team sport and, <laughs> and learn how to play with one another. And um, because, you know, running, even though it's an individual sport, you do obviously, um, you know, you need a team around you and, and to to develop those skills of how to work within a team and within a group environment and, um, you know, communicate clearly and, and all of those things start when, you know, can start as young as five or six yeah, um, one of the reasons sport is so big in Australian schools, isn't it, that we, we get kids out and start doing those things early because it contributes to the full development of the person. Yeah, it does. It's it's such a long game. And I think, you know, the focus has got to be on fun mm. um, at that age especially. And, I mean, this focus for us is, even now is still on fun yeah. um, because we know that when we're having fun, that's when we perform our best and, um, but yeah, especially when you're younger, the focus has got to be on fun rather than be on, um, winning or performance or whatever, but, um, you know, learning as much as you can throughout that, throughout 
that process of having fun is, you know, what it's all about. No doubt you've been asked this by others, but if you were a jack of all trades at sport and dipping your hand here, there and everywhere, if it wasn't athletics, what might it have been? Um, something that pays really well, like <laughs> tennis. <laughs> Golf. Probably tennis. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, tennis. Well, there are, there are the practicalities in life, aren't they? <laughs> if you're going to be traveling yeah. the world, and um, yeah, you do. You you want something that that can can kick back. And I was actually intending to ask you a bit about that, making the choice of a uh, of a sporting field and endeavor that mm-hmm. perhaps less commercial, and and what that means for you to commit to that. But we'll we'll dip into that space a little bit later. Mm-hmm. You're a teenager. You've growing up in this beautiful part of Sydney, you're out in the fresh air and developing and growing and something happens to you that fixes a, de- a goal, a target for mm. you. I, I'm going to be, I'm going to compete at the Olympics. Mm. Do you remember that moment? Do, do you remember realizing this is the thing I want to commit myself to? Yeah, I do. I remember, um, watching the Barcelona Olympics on television and when I was 10 and I remember watching the women's um, distance events and I remember just being so inspired and it was what that I really started to show promise at at Little Athletics and um, but to be honest I would have gone to the Olympics for anything anything that I could I could make but I was really starting to get passionate and good at 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 distance running. And that's when I, I set my sights on, you know, making it to the Olympics one day. And, um, and yeah, it was, it was six years later that I, that I first qualified for my first Olympic games around the qualifying time for the 5,000 meter event. Um, and yeah, unfortunately I, I didn't make those games. I was, I suffered my first stress fracture, my first injury, um, just a few months out from the Sydney Olympics. So that's hard. Yeah. That's a hard story to hear. But I, I want to ask you from 10, you catch this vision. Yeah. 16, it's right there. You, you've you mm-hmm. worked, you must have worked so hard in those six years to mm-hmm. find what well, obviously was some genetic predisposition, genetic abilities. But tell, tell me about the training that had to happen as a young person to run the qualifying time for the Olympics at 16 years of age? I, I was probably running about uh, 60 kilometres a week, um, which right now is, that would be a very low mileage week for me. But yeah. for a 16-year-old or 15-year-old, um, it was, you know, a decent amount and enough that I could, you know, obviously qualify for the Olympic Games with. Um, and you can do that when you're, also running off really raw talent. Mm. Um, I think the, the older you get, the more you need to train because the less you can rely on, on natural talent, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, your natural talent will never go away, um, which is reassuring, but you also just need to, you, you're coming up against bigger competition as well in the senior ranks and you just need to, you know, you need to train like a senior athlete um, which is why we train a lot more now, but 
yeah, I was running about 60 kilometers a week and, um, you know, it was hard training. We do three track sessions, um, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and then a long run Sunday and then, um, runs in between before school, um, in on the in-between days as recovery runs. So 45 minutes to an hour in between, um, it's sort of 6am. Still six years, especially for someone that's 10, 11, 12 is a long time. That's, you know, more than half your life that you're committing at, at that stage. Mm. Of was the, the goal that you'd set for yourself, was that enough to carry you through that time or did you need, you mentioned earlier, a team, that mm-hmm. even though athletics and running in particular is individual, you need people around you. What was your, who was your team at that stage? Uh, my team at that stage was my my coach um, at the time, Rod Arnold, and you know obviously my mum and dad, um, and um, my training partners. Um, to, one of them was my my older brother, mm-hmm. and yeah, that was pretty much it. I mean, there's there was a PE teacher at school that was really encouraging towards me, and I um, became a bit of a mentor. Um, and, um, so yeah, that was, that was my basic, basic team. Without the support and encouragement of those people, would do you think you still would have made that qualification at 16? Uh, no, <laughs> no, I, I think, um, at that age, I think you're, I'm so reliant on, um, people around me that were close to me and that I trusted telling, believing in me and telling me that I could do it. Mm. Um, I think I'm less, definitely less reliant on, on people now. I just believe, you know, I just experience shows me and, you know, I've obviously my faith is um, a big part of who I am and what I do. But um yeah, at, when I was so young, I think words, the words that people around um, and the belief that they instilled was so incredibly powerful um, that I just believed that I could do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, if, if they would tell me the same things probably now, I'd go, oh, yeah. <laughs> but at the, when you're that age, when you're a bit green, you kind of like, okay. Because there's right. no reason not to believe, I suppose, is it? No, that's it. That's it. You've introduced the notion that that uh, your faith is important and part of who you are, uh, how mm. you think about things. Can you tell us how did you come to faith? Yeah, I was actually, it was actually, um, well, because I guess I got injured in that first, um, after I qualified for that first Olympics, I was really, really down. And, um, I kind of distanced myself from all of my friends at school and I just got, I I guess I got a a bit depressed and, um, there was a new girl to our school. She just came came over and sat next to me and, um, she empathized with what I was going through. She said, I, you know, I heard about your injury and I'm really sorry. And, I just want you to know that I've been praying for you and um, I've got some friends from church that that are praying for you as well. And um, yeah. And she said, I just, I just believe that everything's going to work out and God's got a great plan for your life. 
This is and one of the conversations you've had with this girl is like. Honestly, and it was funny because she was, um, she was, because I went to a, you know, state school, high school, and um, she had been kicked out of the Christian school for being rebellious, for being rebellious. Um, so, yeah, she was at our school and she was new and, um, and yeah, I just, I, it really, that conversation really stuck with me because what I knew of God up until that point was that, you know, he was this huge being in the sky that was going to punish me if I did something wrong. Yeah. And, um, you know, that, that, you know, he didn't care about the intricate details of our lives and, um, you know, I didn't know that you could pray for, for an injury. Mm. Um, or pray for yourself. Um, and yeah, I went to church with, with my new friend, Lisa and, and, um, and heard the gospel mm. for the first time and heard about Jesus. And, um, yeah, I received Christ. Mm. Wonderful. In that, in that service. I, I wonder, Eloise, having carried so much of your ambition and your drive on what you could do yourself, what you could demonstrate and the hard work that you knew was going to turn into success. Coming to a sense of faith, was it letting go that sort of idea? Was it a, a dissolving of your self-reliance? Was it a big sigh of, I don't have to carry life like I've been trying to carry my dreams for Olympic meditation? Mm. I think it was, I think it was a revelation of how much I was loved and valued regardless of how fast I ran. That's good. So that was, that was liberating. Yeah. That was because I couldn't run. (laughs) So I felt like I'd lost my identity. I felt like I'd lost my value and my worth, Mm. um, because I couldn't run. And then I had this revelation of like this unconditional, undeniable, never ending love of Jesus Mm. um, that wasn't going to change no matter, you know, what I did or how much I screwed up or how injured I was or how broken I was. Um, Yeah. And I, that was that was liberating. That was a very freeing um, moment and thought. And and you know, it took a little while to kind of grapple that as well. It wasn't like you know, you kind of spread your wings and fly away. It was it was a journey, and it's still a journey of mm. like realizing because I'm still, you know, I'm still in a sport, and we're all still kind of working our way through life. <laughs> And um, I guess the notion of not striving for mm. to be enough mm. um, is it can be challenging on more on some days, you know, sure. more times on some days than it's not. And so, you know, and I'm still like I still get feedback every day of performance feedback from training and, you know, how does that affect your identity? But I'm more aware of it now. I'm more aware of like, oh, yeah, that's the way I used to think, you know, and that's um, that those thoughts don't serve me or those thoughts don't line up with what I value most now. Yes. Um, 
So, yeah. I, I get that. I can understand that living life so dictated to by making the qualifying mark, you know, mm. getting to that standard, mm-hmm. the, the personal drive to, to reach that standard to perform mm. could easily seep into that's how, that's who I am. That's how I gain my sense of self. Totally. That's sort of what you're describing from what yeah. I Yeah. And, and in a lot of ways it, um, having that revelation made me a better athlete because it doesn't take your ambition away. Right. Like God, God still has given me the discipline and the ambition yeah. and the vision to be a great athlete, but it just means that I'm free to go and do that. Yeah. You know, I don't have the fear attached of like constantly trying to prove myself um, or the fear attached. I'm not fearful of losing running or getting injured. I know that it's part of the sport and it may yeah. come up, but yeah. you know, like that I know that God's got a plan and it's good. Cause that um, wasn't your first round or it wasn't your last round of facing some injury. No, right? you, you, no it happened another, it happened another two times that I was measured for the Olympic form and, um, and, and missed the Olympics. So I got, you know, I got another, um, 10 stress fractures after that. And two of those, um, put me out of another two Olympics and it wasn't for 12 years that I actually lined up at my first Olympics in London. Um, and then again in Rio four years after that. So, um, yeah, I eventually made it. Um, but by the time I lined up, um, I just, I'd learned so much about, um, myself and, um, the sport and yeah, just so much about, I guess, what it takes to persevere and what it takes to be resilient and, um, and yeah, it's been such a wonderful journey. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take away any of my injuries. There's been things that, um, just personally that I've learned, you know, about myself and, um, you know, obviously in the, um, 2008, when I missed out on my third Olympics, I met Julius H on and together we started the Love Mercy Foundation. And had I not got that injury, that, that wouldn't have happened. And, um, yeah, so there's definitely so many things that have kind of come from, I guess, seemingly really discouraging and disappointing um, things that have happened. Mm. But, um, you know, God turns them around for good. Yeah, I was going to ask you, so you, you have these, the disappointment of Sydney and then another two examples where what seems like was possible dissolves in front of you. Mm. do you think did your faith at that stage give you a different response to to those moments of disappointment was it um was it my faith was just as hard oh yeah it was uh in like in my humanness i was like this sucks yeah. no way <laughs> around is, that is <laughs> it's really hard and um you know especially the third time i thought it was i really thought it was going to be my my chance, you know, and I was so discouraged and it was probably the, the only time in my whole career that I've actually voiced that, uh, like, I don't want to do this anymore. And it was my husband that encouraged me to keep going. Um, and 
you know, he was just like, you know, things, things could turn around. Yeah. And if they turned around, would you, would you, yeah, you're still passionate about running. You still love it. And the answer was still yes, but I was really discouraged in that moment. But he, I think he like plant him planting that seed of like things could turn around. Yeah. You know, things could turn around and things yeah. could, things could turn around and, and um, work out for good. And, you know, like just planting that kind of vision of like of what could be possible. Um, I think it, it just encouraged me to keep going and, and yeah, then four, four years later, I was, I was finally lining up in, in well, London. They, tell me a bit about when you realized everything you did <laughs> as a 10 year old, here it is, you know, mid twenties now, I suppose. And, and yeah, everything is becoming a reality. Yeah. Um, it was a really emotional moment. I was walking out to the, my first event. So I ran the 10,000 meters and the 5,000 meters in London, but the first event was the 10,000 meters and it was a packed stadium because, um, Usain Bolt was running on the same night. And so, you know, there was 80,000 people in the stadium and, um, my whole family were there and my pastor and, you know, some of my best friends, there was about eight, 18 people that had flown from, um, Sydney and yeah, it was super emotional. I just remember walking to the starting line and I, I kept on having all these flashbacks, um, of moments that had gone by that I'd had to fight for this moment, you know, that I'd have had to believe and had to, um, had to believe that things would work out for good and yeah. had to have faith that God had a plan yeah. and that if I kept persevering and just kept putting one foot in front of the other, then, um, I'd eventually reach my, reach my dream. And, and here I was living it. And, um, yeah, it was magical. Being a distance runner, running 10 kilometers around, around that track and knowing what it means to have to pace yourself and, and know how to manage the surges of the people in the pack and gauge your, uh, your efforts so that you've still got that kick at the end. Mm. Have you been able to adopt any of the training for your, like your race plan for your life plan? Is it correlated at all? And say, I, I, I know how to endure mm. however long it takes to run 10,000 meters. <laughs> it helps me endure 12 years of training for my dream. Are they comparable? Or? Yeah, totally. Totally. I think, um, you know, running, it teaches you so much uh, resilience and, you know, you, you have to choose to, you have to choose discomfort mm. like every time you run mm. and, um, it gets easier as you get fitter, but you keep pushing the boundaries, right? Like you, my coach keeps giving us harder and harder workouts. And so you keep getting to that limit of going, I need to choose to lean into this pain and choose to lean into this discomfort. And yeah, so many times outside of running, you know, just in life that you need to choose to, lean into discomfort and go, what can I learn here? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about my faith? Mm. Um, what can I learn about how to, um, you know, navigate 
pain and, you know, uh, discomfort and what can I learn about persevering and resilience in mm. in the midst of being yeah. uncomfortable and yeah. unfamiliar and, you know, you're in this unfamiliar zone because I guess the biggest fear is like unfamiliarity, like you're not familiar with this level of pain. Yeah. So, yeah, it's taught me so much about life. Do you mind me asking, like, you, you, you may not have um, comment or experience to, to share with this, but uh, I'm wondering as I'm hearing you talk about the, the, um, the place of pain and discomfort, mm-hmm. the difference between the pain and discomfort when you are moving into that training zone versus the pain and discomfort when something's gone wrong and you've got a stretch mm-hmm. fracture. Yeah. Have you learned to be discerning about those? And is there a different response from you about those those different types of pain or discomfort? Um I think I think just acknowledging um I mean when it, when you get a an injury, there's is almost a bit of a grief process that happens. You have to let go of what you were, what you're aiming for, especially stress fracture. You it's, it's six weeks. A bone doesn't heal unless you give it rest. Yeah. Um, and you it's better. You're going to lose your fitness and build it up again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I think that there's, there's a process of that you go through of, um, of of grieving you know what what's going to be lost and then you know but once I've done that you know and it, nowadays it would probably take a, a day or two and then and then once there's a new strategy I just move on mm. we've got a new strategy and of cross training and um you know this is what the next six weeks looks like and this is how we're going to plan the comeback and and I think for me that's really that's always been really important is to really quickly to adjust. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if anything, like this year of COVID has taught us is to how to quickly adjust and be flexible to things being cancelled and, yeah. um, you know, different opportunities lost and, um, yeah, just having to be flexible and look for other opportunities and look for things that you can learn through, what you're going through and learn through different situations and then, um, you know, come up with a new strategy and be flexible with that as well. But like, but have a plan, um, in what you're going to do in those next six weeks. So that's how I would go about an injury. Mm. Um, like I said, it's really important for me to have a, a vision for the next, um, little while so that I can stay motivated and I guess accountable too to, to a program and, um, you know, you, you still feel like you, you've got a goal. Yeah, that's good. The, the, um, notion of being able to navigate that, that sort of space of, of, uh, going to what your capacity is and not over stepping over that so that you're preventing injury. Yeah. Have you learned better to listen to your body to realize? Yeah how sensitive where the line is that you got a trend? Yeah, I think I have. I mean, um, I definitely know, I think, um, I definitely know where, you know, when to back off. Mm. And I mean, we've, we changed, we've changed my training over the years and we've learned a lot about 
me individually as an athlete, what I'm capable of and where to kind of take measured risks. And with London, with the, before the London Olympics, my coach basically took off a third of my training. Wow. Like we were taking no risks. Yeah. It was like you are getting to the starting line yeah. of this Olympics and yes, you, you won't be um, in the shape that you would have been in if we were going to take risks and, you know, get away with it, mm. but you're going to make the line. Yeah. And, um, he said, that's important to your future, the future of, you know, you running. And, um, he's like, it's really important that you have this first Olympics and you have this experience. And, um, I was all about that. And then four years later in Rio, it was all about yeah. what can we do yeah. to get the absolute best performance yeah. in Rio? Let's, let's go and take a couple of risks you and let's really see well what time. I'm capable of. And then, yeah, I'm, I'm, I made the final in, in the 5k and, um, highest ranking woman yeah. in Australian woman in that event. Yeah. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that was a great success. And I think had I not had London, I wouldn't have had Rio. And yeah. so, it's good. um, yeah, it was, it was amazing. And, you know, I'm so grateful for my coach to have that foresight, I guess. Uh, to give me that opportunity to go, okay, because he's ambitious as well. And you don't want to, you don't want to coach an athlete to mediocrity. And I'm not saying London was mediocrity, but he had the foresight to go, you're going to need a long-term view. Mm. Yeah. It's a long game. That's very good. Yeah. Mm. That's that's very good. The, um, the, the notion of being able to, to translate that idea of what you're learning through your athletics into life, you've just been talking about an individualized plan that you, know, mm-hmm. you can't take an off the shelf. Here's the stock standard route that's going to guarantee you, you line up at the Olympics. I've got to find what's my path to that mm-hmm. point in view. Does that have some parallels for you in life too? That there's, there is known, there's little value in, just tracking behind somebody else's path and following mm. life, living what's right for you. Totally. Um, I was talking about it with a friend this morning. We just, I think everyone has got to stay in their own lane, you know, and, and, um, a great athletic, and, uh, analogy there. Yeah. 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 Well, just be confident in, cause it's, you could compare yourself to, um, a lot of people, but comparison is such a joy killer. Mm. And, um, and then as well, like doing somebody else's program or doing the same thing as somebody else just makes no sense. Cause it doesn't allow you to, um, test your unique capabilities. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, um, it doesn't allow you to um, dream about what might be possible for you so if you did it your way individually. And finding that out is part of like the journey and part of the beauty of the journey as well. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, you know, it is challenging when you, you know, when you don't get it right. Or for me, you know, like I got injuries and, but we've worked out, you know, I guess a formula and it's not like a, um, 
it's not like a formula, a foolproof formula. It's mm. constantly changing and evolving. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's not based on what anyone else is doing. Yeah, that's it's cool. based on what we've learned about me. Yeah, good. And that's the way God and what, and what makes me right. thrive. And I guess that's that's the key is finding out what makes you thrive and um and going and doing more of that. That is good. That is so good. Eloise, um, thank you for your time. We're just before we wind things up, you mentioned love messy. Yeah, love mercy. Love mercy. Yeah. Tell me a bit about that. What what is that? How are you involved? Yeah, it's a um, it's a foundation that uh, Julius H. on a Ugandan athlete, um, and I started back in two thousand and nine, um, and we became um, Julius and I became friends when I was over in Portland, yep. um, trying to make it back for the Beijing Olympics, and he told me all about his story of being born into poverty in, in northern Uganda and he had this vision to go back to um, his community and um, start some community development projects. Um, and he, he asked us to come alongside him um, and help him in his vision. And, and yeah, we, so we started the Love Messy Foundation in order to, uh, to stand alongside Julius and to um, help, to help um, people in his community come up with um, simple solutions to poverty and one of those solutions is is the sense of seeds program which is a program um that's run primarily with women um because they're the main caretakers of the children in uganda and how it works is a 30 dollars donation um sponsors a woman to go through the program and she receives 30 kilograms of seeds whether it be beans or rice or sesame um, and out of that 30 kilograms of seeds, she harvests between 150 and 300 kilograms of food. Goodness. And with that food, she can sell it at the marketplace and use that um, money to pay for her own children's school fees. She can buy other household yeah. items yeah. and actually um, sustain herself. And we found that it's it's breaking the cycle of poverty in yeah. entire communities and um, it's empowering people to create their own livelihoods so that they don't, um, you know, they don't need us. Um, they've got all the tools and the resources that they need. It's just this initial capital to, to buy the seeds that, um, yeah, that we, that we partner with them in. Have you had a chance to come visit some of the folks that have been the beneficiaries of that? Yeah, we um we we get over there um usually twice a year. Uh, I haven't been for a couple of years because I was pregnant last year. Um, but uh, yeah, and obviously this year with COVID, so I'm seeing to get back. But yeah, I've been to Uganda about a dozen times. That's so good. Mm. People could find that Love Mercy. Yeah, lovemercyfoundation.org. And um, you can follow us on Instagram as well, Love Mercy Foundation. Um, yeah, we, we love your support and come along um, to our Love Mercy community and, um, yeah, jump on board. That would be fantastic. I hope everybody's uh, taking note of that as uh, we draw our conversation to a close. Eloise, it's been delightful to hear your story, to be able to celebrate with you the, the strength of character that you you have, but to find how God touched that strength of character and, and molded it into something that has been able to give honour to him 
and to make a place for him in your life and mm-hmm. enjoy all the successes that he's now brought along. Olympics, athletics, fantastic family with little kids, all Thanks. at the of God's goodness to you. Thank Thanks you for your so time. Much. And um, please uh, continue to do the work that God calls you to do with love, mercy, and in in all the areas he, uh, he commissions you to work. Thank you. You will. God bless. <laughs>